High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, prom dates, chaperones, controlling mothers, and how about all you ladies out there with the power of telekinesis? This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the slumber party's at my place this evening. But first, school is still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I... Would like to see the results. We have a great episode for you today. We're talking one of the classics, one of the prom classics, of course, Carrie. But we got to talk about your homework first. And that is, as always, to hit that subscribe button. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podcast, <laughs> Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Also, you can check out our archive at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me, the home of so many other great pop culture podcasts. While you're at the app, though, whatever app you're listening to, why don't you give us a little five-star rating or perhaps a positive review? Or the best way, actually, you can help High School Slumber Party is by telling a friend about all the wonderful things we do here bi-weekly. And speaking of bi-weekly, I hope you did your homework. I hope you listened to Monday's episode. It was a fun one. Twilight Forever presents Abduction. Abduction is a Taylor Lautner teen action film. I said that right. You heard me right. Yeah. Jacob wanted to be Tom Cruise. And, of course, Kate Hudson was on the podcast. Joe, too, was on the podcast. And we had such a blast talking. Kate Hudson has some ebay purchases or we hope she buys an ebay purchase you'll have to listen we talked about twilight adjacent things in addition to this very pittsburgh movie of course joe too is from pittsburgh so that made it a little bit special for him it's a silly movie though it's a silly episode but it's great also vampire adjacent kate hudson reveals which tv vampire endorsed her dating profile (laughs) all that on more on our abduction episode, but you already listened to it because you do your homework here. And I know you did your homework and watched Carrie because today is a really good episode. But don't just listen for the Carrie things. Kara has something important she wants to talk about. She's currently participating in a race for POTS. What is POTS? Kara will tell you all about it today. And I can't wait for you to listen to this horror classic and maybe a classic episode. I don't know. You be the judge of that. <laughs> Whoa, whoa, whoa. The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. I know we are fast approaching the end of our junior year, but guys, come on. Get it together. I haven't even told you what we're doing this summer. And speaking of the summer, 
before that, we have to have our yearbook special. I hope you voted on your superlative choices because they're awesome. Check out our Twitter. Check out our Instagram. Well, it's not really on Instagram because you can't post links. It might be in the bio, though. But check out our Facebook. The links are definitely there. And vote, vote, vote. So many great categories. And after this episode, I'm going to break down some of the categories. So you want to listen for that because we're picking the best of the best of our junior year, which was last July, really, to this June. I am so excited. But before that, we're talking Carrie with one of my favorites, Carrie O'Regan. So pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother sitting at Brian's because we're about to get our party on. I leave you with the score from Carrie. Class dismissed. Kara, it's been a while. I I don't think you've been on since Clueless, which classic film. So, you know, I think you're moving from classic to classic. Maybe maybe that's just something. That's just how I roll. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just how I mean. We kicked off with the Breakfast Club. You know, I'm a classic vintage high school slumber party. Yeah, you know, like if you looked at the back of your like high school slumber party baseball card, or you know what? Let's be more (laughs) thematic. If we looked at flip the pages of the yearbook Mm -hmm. and. Looked at your kind of yearbook stats, if you will. You've been on some really good movies, right? Like, or classic movies. Breakfast Club, Grease, uh, oh, Tammy and the T-Rex notwithstanding, but the rest, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Clueless. And, and today, Carrie, I'm so excited to talk Carrie. Normally, we save our plugs for the end, but I know you have a very important plug today. So, Carrie, what have you been up to? Well, I'm a sports person now. Um, an athlete, if you will, took up a little pandemic rage cycling. And I deal with a lot of health stuff. I've probably talked about that on this show before. I've certainly talked about it on every other podcast I've ever been on. And exercising is often prescribed for, you know, a lot of different medical conditions to help manage the symptoms. And it's part of one tiny part of how I help manage mine. And so I'm finally actually feeling well enough to participate in this year's sixth annual Race to Beat Pots. I'll explain what that is in a minute, which is benefiting an organization called Dysautonomia International. It's happening right now, probably, as you're listening to this, June 16th through the 30th. It's a two-week virtual race, you know, race in quotes. Like there's like prizes for people who can fundraise and like do the most miles or whatever, but it's really a collaborative effort. The organization that we're fundraising for, Dysautonomia International, has set a goal of $200,000 to raise that for research funding, uh, physician education, patient support, advocacy, that kind of thing, and travel a combined 30,000 miles around the globe to raise awareness for this thing called POTS. 
P-O-T-S, and that stands for postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. This is something that I've lived with almost my whole life. I've had symptoms since I was a little kid, and I was not diagnosed until I was 27 years old. And for years, I was told that it was just anxiety or, you know, stress or I was attention seeking or just simply too aware of my bodily functions. Um, Yeah, that was a good, that one's actually my favorite. Uh, But (laughs) it's crazy. Yeah. So POTS is a dysfunction of your autonomic nervous system. So the autonomic nervous system is the part of your nervous system that's responsible for all of the things that are supposed to happen automatically in your body. Things like controlling your heart rate and your blood pressure and your digestion and, you know, a lot of like really important things that my body is like not great at handling. And so this is something that has turned my life upside down over and over again. And the status quo for patients is really unacceptable. The current diagnostic delay stands at four years from the onset of symptoms on average. But obviously for a lot of us, it took decades, you know, upwards of 10 plus doctors before anyone would actually take me seriously. And I had to get really sick before anyone actually would take me seriously. So it's something that I am you know, still dealing with, still struggling with, will continue to for the rest of my life. And it's really important to me that other people don't have to go through what I and so many other people have in, you know, the effort to get diagnosed and then treating it. Once you do get diagnosed, there are no FDA approved treatments for this condition, just lifestyle changes and off-label prescribing, most of which is simply not enough for most patients. Um, And it's especially important to me now more than ever to support Dysautonomia International because many people are developing symptoms of autonomic dysfunction during or after COVID infections. People develop these conditions for a variety of reasons, but as a lot of us have experienced firsthand, myself included, post-viral or post-infectious onset or exacerbation of pre-existing symptoms is actually a very common pattern in our patient population. So it's thanks to the work of Dysautonomia International and many of the other partner organizations in the Long COVID Alliance that the NIH is finally starting to pay attention to these post-viral illnesses. But yeah, Dysautonomia International is the largest non-governmental funder of POTS research in the world. They conduct more physician education than any other entity in the world. And they've moved the needle so far since um, I was diagnosed seven years ago. So it's really important to me to support them and support them now so that we can improve things for people. So um, if you want to either join my team and participate in the race, you can do so by logging miles, walking or running, riding your bike or exercise bike, wheelchair rolling, swimming, rowing, kayaking, any non-motorized activity. Or you can just donate or share the fundraiser from your couch, like whatever works for you and your body. So you can find all of this information, read a little bit of my story. It's a very long story, and it's still only a slice of, you know, my whole pie. But uh, if you go to my link tree, which is l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash bimps, b-i-m-p-s-e, before the race has even started, we've already hit our first stretch goal of $1,000. And so 
We're hoping to hit our second stretch goal by the end of the race on June 30th of $2,000, which would be a full 1% of Dysautonomia International's fundraising goal. So if you can help us out, that would be awesome. If you just want to cheer us on, you can do so. Tag me at BIMPS on Twitter or Instagram. I would love to have you along for the ride. And Brian, thank you so much for donating yourself. You're welcome, of course. You know, it's awesome you know i was reading a little bit about it while donating and such and thank you for enlightening me and hopefully the slumbers out there as well also heard you on too fast too forever and yes. yeah happy you met the stretch goal there well so. we, we met our first one and i did promise that if we met our stretch goals i would photoshop myself jumping a draw drawbridge like suki does in her cool pink car in too fast too forever so wait no that's not the name of the movie too fast too furious. furious. Yes. yes. And I was super happy hearing you on that and hearing that stretch goal because Suki is my favorite character in the I entire do. series. So yeah. we often have similar favorite characters. So I wasn't surprised. I'm really happy that that is happening. I mean, obviously for the larger reasons that you have expressed today, but also looking forward to the photoshopping. So can't wait for that. <laughs> yes. Oh, and just wanted to clarify... One thing, you will be mm-hmm. biking. I will be riding my exercise bike indoors in a controlled environment in the air conditioning. POTS makes people very prone to chronic dehydration and temperature regulation issues. So it being summer here in New York, there's no fucking way I'm going outside. And so I'll be just pedaling my little bike in my living room under my air conditioner. Well, drinking that's my awesome. water. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's all really, really great what you're doing, Kara. So hopefully slumbers out there are, are generous. And even if they're not generous, hopefully they, they read and learn a little bit more and and follow the progress along. And I'm really hoping you meet that second stretch goal. 1% is a big deal. I know. And, you know, if I can, again, draw a straight line between that and the COVID pandemic, which is not over, by the way, you know, people have said like, oh, only 1% of people die from COVID. But like, when it's a big number, 1% of a big number is a really big deal. You know, we've lost 600,000 Americans alone to this virus, and millions, millions more are dealing with long-term symptoms that, you know, may never go away. So it's really important to me that people facing that don't have to do it alone. For sure. And again, I personally thank your efforts and You know, I think it's so awesome what you're doing and happy that you could come on High School Slumber Party to talk about it and to talk about today's film, Carrie, because I I, I don't remember how we started talking recently. I I guess I donated and and you messaged me and I was going to message you regardless about Carrie because it's prom season and (laughs) I, (laughs) I have a list I sent out from... God, whenever I started the show, like three or four years ago, and occasionally I look back on it, and I know I can't hold people to something they said like a couple years ago, but I figured (laughs) you'd still be down for Carrie, so thank you for coming on to talk about this film. Yeah, thank you for having me. Oh my God, I... I forgot the traditional high school slumber party introduction. Oh my goodness! Of course. Even though, even though you've introduced so much of yourself now, we have to do it for formalities. So, Kara, name high school, high school team name, or whatever really you want to say at this point. Okay. Well, my name is Kara Gail O'Regan. Uh, I went to Lakeland Regional High School in Wanakee, New Jersey, and we were the Lancers. But I am team captain for the race to be pots of Team Jenga Tower Unicycle. 
So that's who I'm writing for now. Um, and I named the team that because managing a body with POTS and its associated, many associated medical conditions is like balancing a Jenga tower on a unicycle. Ah. Do you have a logo? No, but I do have on the team page, there's um, a Jenga tower and then also, oh shit, here comes that boy. You know, the, the frog riding a unicycle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great. That's great. Well, like I said, I'm happy to have you on here for Carrie. Before I talk your history with Carrie, what's your history with proms? Did you go to your prom? So I went to two and a half proms, I guess. My junior year, wait, no, four? No, three. Junior year is a semi-formal, so technically not a prom, but a prom, basically. Gotcha. And then um, my junior year, I went to the senior prom because a lot of my friends were seniors. And then my senior year, I also went to my senior prom. My sophomore year, when my friends were at the junior prom, I did mushrooms in the woods. (laughs) So maybe four proms. How about that? (laughs) That's a good prom statistic. That, that mm-hmm. That's great. Um, aside from the mushrooms, any interesting prom memories? Anything come to mind? No, but I did wear great dresses. <laughs> I had a, a deal. Yeah, and I had a friend growing up who had sisters that were like way older than us. So we were born in 87, and her sisters were already like in middle school and high school by then. So their prom pictures like haunted us growing up their big (laughs) hair you know terrible 80s early 90s prom dresses and we were like we have to make sure that whatever we wear to our prom doesn't look like that and like when we look back on it it has to be like we made good choices and you know i think we did very classy so like your prom picture you would say timeless Mm, sure Actually, yeah, my senior prom dress, it was it was red, not like a full ball gown skirt, but like a a pretty full ruffled skirt and like a sweetheart neckline strapless. And then I wore like elbow uh, above elbow length white gloves and like a pearl choker, which I think is just like a nice combo. You know, that is pretty timeless. That is cool. Mm -hmm. I, I have no and maybe that's a good thing, but I have no concept or idea like what the 2021 prom dresses look oh, like. Neither. I, <laughs> I suspect there's like a lot of pieces missing because every time I see clothes for young people, there's just like random <laughs> midsection pieces missing. Like a rhombus on, on their stomach. like just Yeah. Missing. <laughs> yeah. That seems to be a big trend in bathing suits now. And I'm like, does anyone not realize the tan lines these will cause oh my goodness yeah that's a good point <laughs> i mean as somebody who's like extremely prone to sunburn that's always something i'm thinking about <laughs> yeah I, I don't have a lot of perspective on again modern prom but when you look back at these 70s proms they're so i don't know like not that they took it more seriously but it feels like they did just from the movies i've seen Well, I feel like everyone, like, people just dressed up more back then, Mm. you know? Like, people would, like, get dressed up to go out to dinner or the movies or even to, like, fly on a plane, you know? Yeah, that's exactly, when you said that, that's exactly what I was thinking. I remember when we were young, my mother used to make us not wear a suit, but, like, oh, you're getting on a plane. You can't just wear a t-shirt and sweatpants, Brian. I'm like, that's plain attire, (laughs) you know? But, uh, yeah, times have changed. But you're definitely right about that. I wonder, again, today, if it's... If proms have gone super casual or if, like, teenagers are taking it as, like, their one opportunity aside for, like, 
going to someone's wedding to dress up because even the work environment today isn't about suits. Like I live in Manhattan and I'm on the subway or downtown all the time. And rarely, rarely do I see like people in suits unless, you know, you see it, but it's not like it was even five years ago when I first moved here where you'd go on yeah. the subway and you see well, almost everyone in fair, suits. Well, to be fair, it's still a pandemic and a lot of people are either working from home or like working in like weird hybrid office situations so everyone's a little more cash than they otherwise would be i think for sure but i have a feeling like they're not going to go back to like the suit and tie thing maybe they will actually i think that there's a solid chance that when this is all over or whatever (laughs) which like that's a a topic for another day but that like people are going to do some like maximalist dressing Oh, oh, that's a cool, like, little prediction there. I'm going to remember that. After a year in athleisure, are we going to wear ball gowns everywhere? Like, (laughs) why not? Why not? I'm thinking of, like, uh, the post-hippie movement where, like, Mm -hmm. the beginning of, like, the Reagan era. Like, like Valley Girl, right? Like, the parents are, like, hippies, but the kids are, like, in very big poofy stuff like the opposite of their parents like maybe yeah. we will go back to like that kind of heavy fabric times i don't know i mean i i'm not looking forward i mean i don't mind dressing up but i don't i'm not looking forward to heavy fabrics maybe because it's like the summer but whatever <laughs> i well i feel like fabric technology has come a long way since that's then, a good point you know like we don't have to make everything out of polyester which is nice. <laughs> always fun talking fashion with you Kara. i think uh, yeah i shared with you the other day that that twitter discourse that was going on claiming that like uh you know fran drescher had the clueless look before clueless I, like that was a uh, interesting to me but you made you made some good points yeah well so the original tweet in question somebody had posted a screenshot from an episode of the nanny in 1994 november 1994 and a screenshot of the iconic yellow kilt suit that Cher wears in the opening scenes of clueless from 1995 and indicated that that maybe Cher had had stolen some of her her fashion from consummate fashion icon fran drescher or what, what's her nanny character fine i think fran fine fran fine an icon forever <laughs> but that was a dolce and gabbana suit from like spring 94 so like the costuming was actually probably happening around the same time and the production timeline for clueless just obviously it being a movie versus a weekly episodic tv show for much sure. longer but like either way the look is is very 1994 but like the way that fran wears it the costume designer i've read a few interviews with her that are very interesting and she said that like the the basic like formula for Fran's outfits was like a signature black base with you know colorful interesting pieces on top of oh, that so that's, that's cool. why she so often is wearing a black turtleneck and so she's wearing that signature black turtleneck with the yellow suit and black opaque tights and then of course Cher is wearing the yellow suit with the jacket open, with the like yellow sweater vest over the white tee and the white thigh highs. So they're they're very, very similar looking, but at the same time so distinct to each character, which like really just shows the power of stylists and uh, costume designers. For sure. I mean that's that's a really, really great point. 
Carrie, definitely different color, definitely different looks in this film, but equally as interesting, I think. What's your history with Carrie? Um, I mean, I've definitely seen it many times. I used to think I liked it, but the last couple times I've seen it, I'm like, oh no, I hate this. I actually <laughs> learned this year that I hate Stephen King. Didn't know that. <laughs> I'm very much like a nonfiction reader generally, but this year decided like it's time for me to read fiction. And so I, I've read a handful of Stephen King books this year and, and have come to realize I actually hate him and his work. Then when I was watching this, I was like, why do I hate this so much? Like, it just was making me so uncomfortable and filling me with so much anxiety and just I like having like a very like visceral response to it. And then I was like, oh, right. I hate Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a start. <laughs> yeah. I find this movie absolutely fascinating and of course like Brian De Palma puts his own spin on it a lot of which I definitely also find upsetting but I, I think visually it's such an interesting movie his use of light is so great and interesting even though I don't like it it's still like obviously like incredibly powerful that it could like elicit that kind of response in me for sure and if you out there are not familiar with carrie every week i read the back of dvd or vhs i found a vhs back online so i'll read that sissy spacek leaped to stardom as carrie the introverted teen who hides two secret shames an abusive religious fanatic mother and her own mysterious power of telekinesis Spacek, who would go on to win 1980 Best Actress for The Coal Miner's Daughter, which I like, gives, I a, <laughs> gives a riveting performance that earned her an Oscar nomination. Almost unheard of for a horror film. Very true. The supporting cast includes John Travolta, who, in a dynamic performance, that's a little much, uh, yeah. displays, <laughs> displays a certain charisma that would later help to make Saturday Night Fever. Urban Cowboy, and Look Who's Talking, huge hits. Oh, seriously, <laughs> though, Look Who's Talking is so good. Same writer-director as Clueless, the one and only Miss Amy Hackerley. Of course. That's awesome. Carrie was the breakthrough film for director Brian De Palma. From the first startling scene in the gym shower to the famed climactic frenzy of blood and fire at the senior prom, De Palma guides this brilliant knock you out of your seat, shocker, with an eerie, unerring. Wait, so when I read out loud and I see the word, it's not matching. What is this word? U n e r r i n g. I don't know. I have to write it down. U n e e r r i n g. Unerring. Unerring. Yes, thank you. As in, like not making an error. <laughs> unerring style that makes Carrie a new horror classic, the psycho of the present generation. Washington Post. Not me. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a, I mean, aside from exploiting the fame of John Travolta to promote the movie. <laughs> yeah, that was the big one on there. Because, like, he has a very small part in this. I mean, an important part, but, like, an upsetting part. But otherwise, I think it's a pretty good description, all things yeah. considered. Yeah, I wouldn't call his performance dynamic in this, but yeah, I mean, otherwise I agree. <laughs> so we mentioned him, Brian De Palma, obviously one of that generation of directors who's very famous, the Scorsese, Lucas, Spielberg 
set or whatever. You mentioned Stephen King. I was going to ask you your history with Stephen King, but you're pretty clear about that there. Well, I'm still confused because I used to love The Shining. I mean, I the movie anyway. You know, I'd seen the movie a bunch of times and really liked that. I enjoyed the director's cut of Dr. Sleep, which is like the recent sequel. I heard mm-hmm. the like theatrical release wasn't very good, but I enjoyed the director's cut. And so I was like, oh, I'll read The Shining and I'll read Dr. Sleep. And then I just... Hey, the book of the shiny is good. I just hated it and like couldn't wait for it to be over. So I don't know. A confusing history with Stephen King. <laughs> I guess I just didn't like put the timeline in my head because um, I, I saw Carrie like once, maybe like in high school or high school college age, and I hadn't seen it since today. But I didn't realize that this was the first Stephen King adaptation. That he was only like twenty six. When this was ad- adapted, which is crazy for me to yeah. think about. And they're still a- adapting Stephen King stuff. So, I mean, just started a long line of Stephen King adaptations. Even well, I Stephen mean, King- he's just cranked out so many books, which is also, like, hard to figure out, like, which ones you should read when you're like, maybe I'll get into Stephen King. Because, like, if you write enough books, like, a few of them will be good. Right. And like those are the the ones that people focus on usually. But apparently there's a lot of stinkers out there, too. Not to bring up uh, this bad, bad man, but like Woody Allen has a a similar career where they just let him make a movie every year for like 30 or 40 years. Yeah. And like at least half weren't good. And you have some like really good ones. And it's, it's similar to Stephen King, where I was looking up like. I was going to say IMDb because I'm so used to films, but whatever. It's like bookology. I don't know what it, his catalog, if you will. And I'm like, wow, I've I've heard of a lot of these, but some of these I'm like, I never even heard of, and I'm sure aren't very good. And I mean, again, I, obviously Stephen King is more successful than I am, so I'm not like dissing him, but it, he is one of those prolific writers where it just has so much material. That I wouldn't even know where to begin, and I would be like yeah. you, like beginning on like, I like that movie. Let me read the book, right? Yeah, that didn't work out great. <laughs> um, he was only paid uh, $2,500 for the rights to this. And yes, I know it's the 70s and it's like a lot more money back then, but that's still not a lot to adapt a book. He wasn't really even a known name at this time. You'll see later movies where it's like Stephen King's, you know, Christine or something like yeah. that. Like, that wasn't the case here. People didn't go to see Carrie in the theater because of the book necessarily. So I, I found that fascinating too because I just assumed because it was a Stephen King book that like that's why people were like a Harry Potter kind of thing, you know? But I was wrong. Well, I, I looked up the like conversion of the inflation on $2,500 in like the mid-70s to today would be about $12,000, which still is not that much. I mean, you know, for for a an iconic movie such as this. Yeah, like I'd take that right now, but it right. It, yeah, it, it, can I please change. have twelve thousand dollars? <laughs> it would change my year, but not as much as I would want it to if right. I adapted a book that became a successful movie. <laughs> yeah, <way? laughs> a couple weird like De Palma facts. I mean, this movie is very like De Palma styled with those. Uh, I don't know what they're called, but just like the two shots at once, like split screen stuff. Mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg visited him on set a lot, and he actually met his first wife on set, who's one of the actors in the film, Amy Irving. All I know is that, like, they used to hang out, 
Lucas, I think, went to the set mm-hmm. and saw the film. Oh, did you, there's that. There's a famous story with George Lucas that has been debunked, which we'll get to. You know, we'll get to it now because we'll talk about the cast. Sissy Spacek, of course, who we mentioned, is our lead as Carrie. What do you think of her and her performance and just Sissy Spacek overall? Just FYI, I'm a Sissy Spacek fan. So. I am too. I think she's great. I think she's great in this. I mean, like, the frailty that she's able to channel in this that, like, is simultaneously so, like, upsetting and detestable, but also, like, you want to protect her. I think that's, like, probably pretty hard to do. And she really pulls it off so well in this. And then, like, the turn that she makes into, like, homicidal maniac. (laughs) And you're, like, rooting for her to, like, just kill everybody. Or at least I am. No, that was exactly my note, Kara. Yeah, Yeah, that was exactly my note. It's, like, she's so good that... Is anyone rooting for the mom to kill her at the end? No. No. It's so upsetting. (laughs) Right? You want the opposite to happen. (laughs) And I think that's so her performance here. She's so good at what she does. So the George Lucas uh, rumor that was like urban legend till recently was that uh, Lucas and De Palma had cast Star Wars and Carrie together. And they auditioned people kind of blindly. And that uh, Carrie Fisher was supposed to be Carrie and SpaceX was supposed to be Princess Leia. And that Carrie Fisher did not want to do the nude scene so that they traded. Carrie Fisher says that's absolutely false and do and that she would have gladly done the nude scene if cast here. I love Carrie Fisher. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, you know, just doing a little bit more of a deep dive. It seems like the story was more that they were kind of casting in the same building. So like De Palma would be like, hey, Lucas, I'm seeing people at this time come in and just hang out with me and like vice versa. It was never like, cause that would be weird, right? Like, Hey, two different roles and let's just trade or, you know, you're reading for two different things. Like that doesn't really seem like that's very likely anyway, but that has been debunked to everybody. So I actually had never heard that story. The story that I heard about George Lucas and Brian De Palma is that George Lucas had like screened the first cut of star Wars for Brian De Palma and Steven Spielberg and like their homies. Brian De Palma's, like, his reaction to it was like, I don't mean to sound harsh, but what is this shit? <laughs> yeah, I had heard that as well. <laughs> oh, man. It just, when you think of that crew, right, and you think of, like, De Palma and what he does, just, like, from this, like, Scarface and things like that, yeah. and then what George Lucas does, like, yes, they're friends, and I guess they have a lot in common. They both film together. They're both, like, white men with beards and stuff but but it's just very different you know so i i totally could see brian de palma saying that yeah but i think like even just even the three of them spielberg de palma and lucas are all i you know spielberg and lucas obviously are blockbuster guys so they're like a little closer but lucas is just out there man he's just on his own timeline on his own planet and like all three of them are so different. So it's, it is interesting that they, when they were so young, it's such like a formative time in their career. And I think also like Coppola was part of that. Mm-hmm. And like, maybe I'm missing somebody. Scorsese. Yeah. Like that is wild that this like click of young filmmakers all came up together, but also not that wild because like nepotism. 
for sure. <laughs> but it's just, it's so rare that, like, when you have, you know, because, like, I went to art school. I have, you know, various groups of creative friends that are all trying to do things, you know, and, and someone might make it, but not all of them. And that's just interesting. For sure. It's, like, crazy to think about that they were all, like, in the same orbit and just, like, taking chances at the same time. As they say, what a scene. <laughs> Sissy Spacek ends up getting nominated for an Academy Award for this, and also nominated for Academy Award was Piper Laurie playing her mom, Margaret White. I love seeing Piper Laurie here, uh, Twin Peaks, of course, but we've talked Mm -hmm. about her twice on High School Slumber Party, a two-time High School Slumber Party alumni, if you will. Uh, both on films that I was kind of surprised to see her, uh, Dream a Little Dream, a Corey Haim, Corey Feldman film that we talked a couple weeks ago. With Mike Manzi, but also The Faculty, which is an awesome movie. Oh, Piper she Lord. is in that. Yes, that movie is so good. I love it so much. We did an episode of uh, Wistful Thinking about that, I think. And just to think of, like, she's in Carrie, and then she's, like, all the way up to The Faculty. Awesome. So good for yeah. you, Piper Laurie. Well, Amy Irving is in The Rage Carrie, too. Like, she plays a guidance counselor who helps out the student with telekinesis. That's crazy. Yeah, I read mm-hmm. that as well. And I'm like... Good for them. Good for them. And I want to talk about the sequels uh, after we wrap up because I'm very curious. Piper Laurie, till at least this day, or like her last interviews or whatever about Carrie, has said that she has seen this as a black comedy. She did Mm. not believe Mm -hmm. De Palma when he said that this is a straight up horror film. She would laugh after every take, apparently. (laughs) She thought the character was so over the top. I mean, and good for her to get an Oscar and still feel like that differently. Uh, to the director about yeah. that. So, but Kara, what did you think of her performance here at, as like the mom? Well, I think that explains a lot. Uh, just like her whole vibe is very over the top. I find her mother like so deeply distressing. <laughs> just every time she's on screen and doing her thing is just like, that's the, the times in this movie where I'm like, I don't want to watch this anymore. Too much. <laughs> Very upsetting. Kind of triggering. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this movie, like, I don't think you could watch it and not feel. You might not enjoy the ride you're in, but their performances are just like how... There's a lot of fucked up shit in this movie. (laughs) We'll put it that way. Like, at the end of the the movie, you get kind of an explanation of, like, why is she like this? Mm -hmm. That kind of points towards some, like, generational trauma that gets explored a little bit more in the later remake of Carrie in ways even though people hated it I find that remake really interesting because of the way that they further explore that generational trauma so I'm glad you bring up the remake because my next question was going to kind of bounce back to the director and I know in the 70s we didn't really talk about these things but I kind of find it fascinating today especially so many modern movies I do this is such a women-centric story like with two a lot of great women acting here but like two really strong uh women as the lead based on a book written by a man directed Mm -hmm. by a man is that something a deeply problematic man (laughs) (laughs) yes yes is that something um i don't know that strikes you today that maybe people didn't i guess Weren't, I mean, maybe people were, but they just their voices weren't being amplified no, at the time. The, no one the re- paid attention to this until like four years ago. Like, 
women did, especially women filmmakers and women working in film, were like, hey, this is fucked up. But like, as far as like a broader cultural conversation around like who gets to tell whose stories, like that is very new in the mainstream and was certain no one like that was there were so few female directors back then like you know it it just probably didn't even cross most people's minds because the new one was directed by a woman Kimberly Pierce was her name yeah and I think it really shows I think the the women's storylines in the newer remake there's like miscarriage and like all of these things in there and the way that it's portrayed, it just is, it has a very different feel to it. And maybe that's why people don't like it. Who can say? <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it. So I was curious. I mean, it's not great. Like to be fair, you know, it, it's very self-aware. And, and I think also it was, it came out in 2013, which was a little bit before the great reboot boom where like all of a sudden we were just remaking everything and so it was perfectly acceptable to remake classic horror movies all of a sudden this kind of predates that and so of course on the internet you know the horror bros always get upset anytime anyone (laughs) remakes their beloved classics and especially if there's women involved so who who can say but um yeah i mean it's not like a great film but i think it's it's deeply, deeply interested and deserves at least another few looks. Well, last uh, Friday, we talked Prom Night, the 2008 remake, and uh, Mike Manzi and myself discussed a lot of the like 2005 to 2012, 13, uh, just horror remakes where they just, most of them did not do well. Um, they're pretty grounded, and almost none of them are considered classics. So, right. Again, I haven't like, seen There them. were a lot of them, but like it wasn't the way that it is now where... It's like cool to do a remake, you know. For sure, I don't sure, know if it's cool sure. to do a remake, but they have some cachet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the, I think there's a little bit more, um, like care. Not, I don't get. I didn't see that newer Carrie, but I know from watching some of the other ones, there's like not a great care for fan service. Is like the bad way to put it. But yeah. a lot of these directors took them and just like let me just do my own really grounded version of this horror premise and. Which yeah. can be really interesting, and I think in, in the case of that Carrie remake is, even if it's not necessarily, like, great. Definitely good to know. Regardless, I do want to check it out. Who else? I mean, we already mentioned John Travolta. This is, It's crazy seeing him here. I forgot he was in this movie. Uh, but he's just, like, a goof. On, I know he's, like, a pivotal character, but I don't know. He, he, was, he was a little bit silly. Um, and anyone else here really stick out to you a queer icon pj souls and her rainbow hat that she never takes off even at the prom even when she's getting her hair done for the prom there's a short little interstitial scene of her and that girl who then grew up to be a woman but still looked like she was 40 even when she was like 19 (laughs) where they're like in a beauty salon and they're both under like the hair dryer hoods and they're like yelling over them but like she has the hat on top of the hood and I have always been like what is the deal with that hat I first of all I want one second of all what is the deal with that hat apparently she like it was her hat PJ Souls her hat she wore it to the audition because she had like come to California from New York and was like "Ah, I'm sensitive to the sun relatable and (laughs) uh yeah she wore it to the audition and Brian De Palma was like keep wearing the hat (laughs) 
<laughs> That's so awesome. We got, yeah. She's in, she's in Rock and Roll High School and uh, Breaking yeah. Away and a, lo- a lot and of Halloween, cool stuff. the and first Halloween. Halloween movie. So much cool stuff that she's done, and that character again, the red hat, and then there's like um, the scene where the gym teacher is making them do things, and she's also wearing red shorts, and everyone mm-hmm. else is wearing black shorts. I yeah. love when directors just let people be people. Sometimes, you know. Yeah. I thought that was so cool. So yeah, thanks for pointing her out speaking of that teacher she played by beth buckley miss collins an interesting character for sure she actually was only and we like talking about this she was only two years older than sissy spacek which is again always something fun that we like to point out here she was 28 and sissy spacek was 26 when they were shooting this i didn't really notice it so good for them no i mean sissy spacek looks like she's like 14 yeah she again great look uh, two other people I had notes on, actually. Nancy Allen, who plays Chris, she was another person who read the script as a comedy and sort of played it as a comedy. Like, she had no idea she was, like, the evil, bad, well, one of the evil, bad people in the movie until she saw the premiere of the film. Wow. She was like, oh, my God. She thought her and John, Travol- John Travolta were just kind of, like, dopes who, yeah, contributed to, like, Carrie's downfall, but were more comic relief, so... I thought that was really interesting. (laughs) That is. But again, explains a lot. And then the other uh, person I wanted to bring up was uh, Edie McClurg, who was one of the girls. She played Helen. She's the girl with the glasses. Yeah, that's who I was talking about in the beauty salon. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And she, of course, is High School Slumber Party. I think she should be a High School Slumber Party Hall of Famer. That's up for the slumbers. Or, sorry, the select panel to vote on that. But, you know, we see her in Ferris Bueller later and so many other great things. But she's always looked exactly the same. Like, she <laughs> really same. did look like she was 40 in this movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> you hit the nail on the head when you said that. She's still with us today, 75, the young old age of 75. I guarantee if she walked in my apartment right now, she would be completely the same as well. Timeless Edie McClurg. So. Yeah. <laughs> and this was her first major role, so oh, wow. good, to, good to see her here as well. So I wanted to correct, uh, I think I was a little confusing with like who married who before as I look mm-hmm. in my notes. So Nancy Allen, who played Chris, married De Palma, and oh. Amy Irving married Spielberg. Oh, they, okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, I think I did know that. That's why I got confused. Apparently, it was like a double dating situation, you know. Like, <laughs> so interesting. I mean, interesting that Carrie uh, changed people's lives in that way as well. I suppose. Mm. And then, as mentioned in the intro, huge surprise for a lot of people that this got two Academy Award nominations. I think horror now gets a little bit more respect than it did at certain different times and well because now there's there's elevated horror yes which i find <laughs> such a hilarious term but yeah <laughs> but at the time it was really uh, shocking to a lot of people that sissy spacek and piper laurie both were nominated but let's start talking scenes it's a short movie so i don't know if there's going to be a lot of necessary scenes to talk about but more moments if you will and we we start off hot in this movie we start off with a. Uh, I guess iconic scene, or I don't know, just kind of a scene that that'll get you. We're kind of learning about Carrie's, I guess, how she fits in in this high school model. It's obvious for a first time viewer that she's super sheltered at home, and the iconic scene I'm talking about is that 
uh, shower scene where she gets her first period and does not know really, you know, what's going on with her. Uh, What were your thoughts on one of the earlier images of the film here? Upsetting in so many ways, because like before she gets her period, it's just like a straight up pornographic, like the way that she's shot in the shower is just perverted not that there's necessarily anything wrong with that if it's you know involving a consensual like a consenting adult but like she's supposed to be a teenager in high school so upsetting but also deeply upset like it just makes me so sad that this thing that happens to most people who are born with uteruses and ovaries that for so long women were denied, you know, this like basic knowledge about their bodies and how shameful that is and how much stigma there is attached to that, you know, and like in the context of this movie, she's an outlier that she has absolutely no information that this is going to happen. But, you know, that's still true of so many people in so many places today that it's still so stigmatized like girls around the world have to like drop out of school because they don't have access to menstrual supplies or bathrooms or like what have you so once they start getting their periods they can't go to school anymore you know so it just is like when I watch that it just makes me so sad that someone could be in that situation and and her reaction to it which if you don't know that that's an, a normal thing that's supposed to happen to a human body that has certain organs I think is like actually pretty rational like everyone's upset that she's freaking out but like if you start leaking blood uh, for seemingly no reason that's distressing yeah, and then, you know, as that unfolds, she tries to reach out for help, and instead of people helping her, they ridicule her and throw tampons at her and scream at her and make fun of her, and it's just, it's so deeply traumatizing just to watch. It's It just sets this tone where, you know, De Palma's lens aside, just the physical things that are what's happening on screen, it just sets this tone where... It makes so much of the movie heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. I think we've all been there to lesser degrees where we're embarrassed by something or we're nervous about something. Well, yeah, I mean, just just setting it in a locker room, I think, is triggering, <laughs> you know, for like so many of us who like didn't feel comfortable with our bodies and still had to like get naked or nearly naked in front of our peers at like the worst possible times in our lives, you know. Oof. Ugh, no thank you. I don't even want to ever be reminded that that was a thing we had to do. Why do we do this to children? It's I don't it's know. inhumane. And just like from this uh, high school film lens, you see it played a lot in joking ways. We just covered a film called Lucas, a Corey Haim film, where he's a younger than the other kids and he's showering in the locker room and they kind of haze him by putting, like, I guess whatever the... 80s version of Icy Hot, like, Oof. on his genitals and then, like, oh, kicking no. him out of the locker room. And it, it is played as bullying there, but it's definitely played, like, more humorously. Um, it is sobering to see films like Carrie that just bring it to this level. We're like, oh, no, this is super scary, even if you aren't as sheltered as Carrie. 
it is still super scary. Well, I think it's like the like emotional flavor, right, of of that insecurity and deep shame about your body and uncomfortableness and bully like that that like is so tangible for anyone who had to ever get undressed in a locker room when they were in like middle school or high school and then it's just like all turned up to 11 yeah for sure and then just you know to flash forward a little how she isn't trusting of her peers ends up trusting her peers and then is ultimately not all them but from her perception she's ultimately betrayed by those peers that she barely trusted oh oh it's heartbreaking and then again like i said the tone is set here i think it successfully gives you that icky feeling the entire time yeah yeah which is why watching it makes me so like it just makes me not want to be watching but it's so successful in that way for sure and you know we get a little bit of the home life um just seeing how religious her mother is and how she when she learns Carrie gets her period, how she's just talking about, you know, sin and the Bible and like what comes next. The first sin was intercourse, stuff like that. Yeah, instead that- of being like, oh, honey, here's some Advil and like this is how you use a pad and like here's this book with weird illustrations about what your body's going through right now. <laughs> you know, instead of like being any in any way empathetic or nurturing or you know, even just neutral, which would be like a best case scenario. She's like actively rejecting her daughter and like foisting all of this shame and um, toxicity on her in, in such a deeply upsetting way. And the fact that Carrie's essentially asking her, like, why didn't you tell me about this? It's yeah. just like, it's so, so sad. I want to ask you about the gym teacher. She obviously takes a liking to carry and she really goes out of her way to punish the the people who you know end up bullying her for this incident um all the you know those girls in gym class uh, what were your thoughts on this character and her act i think she's great <laughs> okay line up line up <laughs> move it on your feet right now two lines alice and mary eyes front katie you too chris and spit out that gum where'll i put it miss collins you can choke on it for all i care just get it out of your mouth Wipe that smirk off your face, Norma. Okay. Now I want you all to know that you did a really shitty thing yesterday. A really shitty thing. (laughs) Did any of you ever stop to think that Carrie White has feelings? Do any of you ever stop to think? No, I guess you're too busy thinking about your dates and the prom. I guess you can take your pick, Chris. Who's the lucky guy? Billy Nolan. Who? 
Billy Nolan. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Could you speak up? Billy Nolan. Well, isn't he the lucky one? What about you, Sue? Who's taking you? Tommy Ross. Right. Now, my idea for this little trick you pulled was three days suspension and refusal of your prom tickets. That'd get you where you live, wouldn't it? And you deserve it. I don't think any of you have any idea of just how nasty what you did really was. But the office has decided you're to have one week's detention. Still, there's one little catch. It's to be my detention. <laughs> like she tells the one girl to take the gum out of her mouth and she's like well what should I do with it she's like choke on it for all <laughs> <laughs> which is great yeah I mean I you know it's a it's a hard situation I listen anyone who works with teens god bless uh not for <laughs> me you know I think it's a really difficult situation that she's in as seemingly the only adult who gives a shit in this young woman's life you know but like also is uncomfortable with that I don't want to say burden but like that responsibility that is placed on her because she's like what the fuck you know which again is also a very rational response that like how could this young woman like have no idea what's happening like this is a natural normal thing why is she freaking out, you know? Which, if I may point out, one in ten people who menstruate have endometriosis. One in ten people who menstruate have uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome. So, like, even though menstruating is natural and normal, quote-unquote, um, it can be a really horrifying and painful experience for people. So, just wanted to put that out there. Good PSA, as always. Um, this movie does this weird thing, I think it's similar, similar to what we were saying about Carrie as well, where I don't want to condone, like, a teacher who's in charge of students smacking kids around and... You know, and... sometimes I think it might be necessary, <laughs> and in this case, it's entirely warranted well, that these kids are out of control. That's what I was going to say. Like, I, I find myself rooting for her and being like, yes! You know what I mean? When I'm like, oh, Brian, you, you can't be rooting for the teacher that hits kids, but... I don't know. I don't know. This movie does weird things to me. <laughs> oh, wait. she You're talking about when she slaps Carrie. Yeah, that's that's maybe inappropriate. But sometimes, like, when somebody is, like, in, like, an extremely fight-or-flight situation, you need to do something physical to, like, break their, you know, whatever. Maybe slapping is not the, the most appropriate thing. Give them an Altoid or something. But, yeah. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I wasn't even thinking of that one. I was just thinking of just like, I'm not rooting for her to hit Carrie. But also, it was the 70s. <laughs> I mean, they were smoking in the principal's office. You know? <laughs> That's a good like, point. It was a different time. I, I want to talk about, too, uh, speaking of the 70s, Tommy Ross and his hair. Oh, um, he, he's just the hot, gorgeous, cool... <laughs> gorgeous man. 
<laughs> he's the hot, cool guy in school. We think he's also, I mean, he is an athlete going to nationals or whatever, but he's also, at least we think he's like an also very skilled poet. Carrie definitely has a crush on him. We see that she has like newspaper clippings of his accomplishments. She's not weird about it. She just said that his poem is beautiful or whatever, but yeah, I mean, just the hair and this character. Uh, <laughs> I just think he's extremely attractive. Uh, <laughs> he's got some real, like, Robert Plant vibes. He is an interesting character because, like, his his type of the, like, handsome, popular jock guy, you assu- like, right off the bat, you assume that he's going to be an asshole and, like, he's going to be the one who sets her up for... Because, like... Right, the the whole prom scene is is so iconic and is such a trope that like I think a lot of people who see this movie for the first time might know how that like, that that happens and assume that he's in on that when really he's like actually just trying to be nice. So I I think it's interesting that that it kind of takes his character and and flips it. It flips the expectation a little bit of, like, what he's like as a person. And it totally got me this time. Like I said, I hadn't seen this movie in over a decade. And, I, you know, just from seeing what had been going on with Carrie, I thought the other shoe was going to drop with uh, him and his girlfriend there. I thought they were in on it as right. well the entire time. So when I found out they weren't at the end, I was like, oh, shit, okay. That, that's an, I mean, it didn't matter for their fate anyway, but, yeah, they both, well, not both of them died. He did probably die, though. He got hit in the head with a bucket and then was in a building that burned down. So Yeah, and, and even though she didn't die, her life is probably not going to be the same ever again. So yeah. no good fate for anyone in this movie. Uh, that That's for sure. We often talk aesthetics on High School Slumber Party, especially when it comes to proms. What did you think of the uh, prom theme and the way it was directed? And I think it was just like, oh, soft. I think it's so beautiful. It's actually it's my favorite scene in the movie. I think it like it's just so visually well done. Like it, it's really where I think De Palma's filmmaking shines. Like even the shower scene, it's it's shot beautifully, but it's just like, ugh. Um, <laughs> whereas like the prom scene is shot beautifully, and even though you know it descends into chaos it's still beautiful the way he uses like the backlight lighting of the fire and stuff like that i think is is just so visually uh, striking and effective and building to it too there's these little uh there's these like cutaway scenes kind of that well first of all the music in here it's not just like that sinister horror music all the time there's some like funky tracks in the background occasionally and i don't know this one scene keeps coming to mind where uh, I guess the three guys are looking for tuxes. And I love like a... that scene. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, because like little... it's back-to-back with the, the beauty uh, mm-hmm. shop scene. So it's it's just this, like, comedic maybe three minutes in the movie where it is straight comedy and kind of lightens the mood a little bit right before you, like, descend into hell, which I think is really an interesting way to set you up for that. But, yeah, the tux scene is hilarious for sure this isn't one of the again i think in the uh two early 2000s and you maybe like 10 years ago you would watch a horror film and throughout there'd be like this sinister score and yeah there'd be like comedic moments but i don't know sometimes i think that you didn't get these like breaks of course you have movies like scream that definitely had comedic moments 
So that I'm not saying everyone screws it up, but it was just comforting to see here that this wasn't like killing me, no pun intended, the entire time. And just the whole premise here is that obviously Carrie, not very popular, very sheltered, and uh, she gets asked to prom. Her mother doesn't want her to go, but she ends up going with, with Tommy. They're all going to laugh at you, which I always <laughs> forget that that line is from this movie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I like hear it in my head all the time. I like don't remember that's actually where it's from until I watch this. And I'm like, oh, right. That's where that's from. That's great. And then again, this is a pretty simple movie in terms of, you know, Carrie's just kind of getting ready for prom. And she has to convince she has to be convinced a couple times to go like because like I said, she doesn't trust what's happening here. And she ends up just letting her guard down. And even the teacher is trying to look out for her where she takes Tommy and, and his girlfriend and she's like, are you serious about this? What are you doing? And they kind of just like plead their sincerity, sincerity about what's going on here. Again, I wasn't a first time watcher, but I felt like a first time watcher. And it was making me kind of question, like like I said, not just their honesty, but, oh, God, I know what happens here. Who's the one who does it? And the fact that I, we didn't address it yet, the whole pig's blood thing. Oh my God. I didn't remember the scene where they acquire the pig's blood. I don't remember that every time. And every time I'm like, Jesus Christ, what right. the fuck? <laughs> uh, you can't just go to a butcher like a normal person. You have to kill the pig yourself. Get your boyfriend to do it. Yikes. No, corn, thank you. Corn syrup, people. Did it have to be actual pig's blood? That is, like, next level fucked up. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, the fact that that actress, like, didn't... Like, her character is, and I do not use this term lightly, such a fucking psycho. Like, <laughs> how did she not realize <laughs> that this is, like, really fucked up? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure either. Something we haven't mentioned yet either is Carrie's power of telekinesis. It wouldn't be Stephen King unless it was there was something like this in the movie, right? The fact that she, I mean, just has pure telekinesis. And did her mom know about it at this point? Unclear. I think the reason that she like keeps Carrie so locked away. Like one of the reasons is because she's aware that she has this like, you know, supernatural power, which she interprets as being from the devil. Um, And that's another thing that in the remake gets a lot more explored and a lot more um, airtime that I think she's like aware that her daughter has some abilities, but I don't know how often, if ever, Carrie has used them on her before. Not that she, like, has a ton of, you know, control over what's happening, but it does kind of seem like this is the first time that she's, like, literally put her mother in her place. Yeah, I I was wondering about that, because you have that trope, right, of, like, movies where people have powers, where they kind of, like, come into their powers as they come into puberty, right? Yeah. It's not clear if that happened here, or she was just, like you said, maybe showing little signs of it growing up or whatever but it's uh it's fascinating to me and this is the first time i watched this movie and actually like considered that aspect of it because you know we see her move little things and then like eventually she does you know put her mother you know in a position uh using her powers and we'll see her powers to her full extent at the prom later but just the setup here that we know she has it I don't know. We know she's going to prom. We know that something 
might happen at prom. But look, anyone who's even heard of this movie knows that something's going to happen at prom because even the the poster to the movie, the original poster, has like the blood on her and stuff. So spoiler alert, whatever. You know something's going to happen here. And you're like, oh shit. And like you said, when we get to prom, De Palma's filmmaking is is great here, and the aesthetics of those stars and the music that's being playing, it's almost dreamlike what's happening mm-hmm. to her. Everything is going right, and you have this sense, this sense like in your throat that, oh shit, you know that the, well, the bucket's going to drop, yes, but I was going to say like the other shoe's going to drop. You know <laughs> that's coming here. And you're like, no, no, Carrie, you're like trusting too much. Ah, that's how I was feeling, at least on this watch. Yeah. (laughs) I am a little jealous of the telekinesis, though, I gotta say. (laughs) Especially as a teen. If I could have had some sort of power to... I just know, and I think most people, if they're honest with themselves, know how much of a monster they were as a teenager, right? (laughs) Like. I would not have used my powers for good. Oh, no, of course not. No, no, I would have taken out my enemies for sure. Uh, That's why I'm jealous. (laughs) Yeah. Now, now that I'm older, it's like, oh, I left my water bottle in the other room. Or like, I got into bed and forgot to turn the lights off. You know, like, that's the reason I want telekinesis now. But like, as a teen, 100% wanted to kill everyone. (laughs) <laughs> for sure <laughs> oh man so prom the big moment in this film what are your thoughts here they rig it so that carrie becomes prom queen and she has to be up there on stage and that's why i thought that the dude was in on it again apparently he wasn't or whatever but it, it's interesting how they film it right because like there's a lot of silence Mm-hmm. the one girl's like tugging at the rope so you think like oh maybe she is in on it but we actually see the real culprits which is Travolta and the other girl like under the stage and um, you have that moment with the teacher pulling the wrong girl away oh my god it's like yeah because Amy Irving is like trying to step in and stop it. like she realizes what's happening she tries to step in and stop it the teacher sees it she goes and thinks that Amy Irving is the one who's trying to do something pulls her away and then, you know, disaster ensues. Oof. Oof. And the moment where, like, the buck... I mean, first the blood falls on her. It's just, like, everything crashing down. I mean, yes, literally, but just all their expectations. The dream is over. And even though not everyone is laughing at her, I would feel that way, too, if that happened to me, that everyone is laughing at her, just like her mom says... And quite literally, all hell breaks loose. And this is the iconic Carrie scene where she just takes her revenge at every single person in prom, whether they're responsible or not. And you mentioned uh, the dude gets the bucket to the head. So not necessarily him, but just everyone else here just, oh, my God. Uh, 
thoughts on this just again iconic carry scene um i found the use of like the split screen really interesting and i don't was that particularly innovative for the time it kind of seems like it would be that like the technology to be able to do that was probably relatively new um and he uses it so well because you're like seeing carrie's face and you're seeing her wreak this havoc and then in the other side of the split screen you're seeing you know what what the consequences of, of this unfolding um and i just i find it all really interesting I also found, like, at one point, she telekinetically uses a fire hose on yeah. the crowd, which just, like, it, like if you think about it in context of the time, this is only, like, 10 years out from when the police were using fire hoses on civil rights protesters mm. and stuff like that. And so, like, historically, I found that interesting. I don't really have anything smart to say about that or like what implications it has being used on a group of white teenagers. But I did, I just, the iconography of a fire hose on a crowd is, is so disturbing, you know, and then to like think about how that was still like very recent history at that time. For sure. I didn't think about it that, but that's a really, really good point. I kind of just saw it as like very Stephen King-y. You know, it reminded me of things that would happen in It or Christine, even The Shining to an extent. I think famously in the book, like the topiaries come alive and that doesn't yeah. happen in the movie. That actually or was one of my favorite parts of the book. Really? Oh, you, you yeah. do like your plants. so <laughs> I do like my plants. You're right. And I do want them to come alive and eat people. <laughs> I should have guessed, but it just reminded me of something like that. But I, yeah, I didn't even put that context on it. So that's a good call there too. One thing I do have to say that I guess was not on people's minds in the 70s, but certainly on our minds today and I know she doesn't have a gun, but it certainly reminded mm. me of kind of like, in an eerie school way, like a, a school shooting. Yeah. Yeah. Like, obviously, they're just so commonplace now, which is deeply upsetting. But I think, you know, particularly for people our age, we were in middle school, like when Columbine happened. And that was just so, like, it kind of, just, it felt like it kind of like shattered everything. Like, it just kind of rocked the world, or at least our world being in school. So, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely also came to my mind and was, was something that, like, as a teen who, like, really didn't like everyone else was, like, I do want all of you to die, but I don't want you, I don't want to shoot anybody. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> I'm not actually as homicidal as I sound like. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Certainly after the last 20 or however many years it's been of just like school shooting after school shooting, it, it definitely puts a different lens on a movie like this. Yeah, like it even scared me to an extent. Like the fact that you're rooting for her mm -hmm. is like really uncomfortable. Yeah. Super uncomfortable. Like if you think of it like the idea of like a teenager who's being bullied and taking out their revenge by locking everyone in the gym and killing them uh, i guess telekinesis blunts that a little bit but i can imagine a teenager who does feel that isolated from the bullying i hope they don't act on it but having this kind of idea of like hey i don't have telekinesis power but 
perhaps a gun can do that. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. like a really, really scary thought. We're in a post-Columbine world. I think you can't help but think that while watching this movie. And it is a little scary. But there was never a point where I wasn't rooting for her. But looking back, I'm like, oh, should I have been? All these innocent kids died. And I know some of them were bullying her. But I don't know. It's it's a movie that really, really gives you interesting feels and thoughts. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> I could have sworn if someone said, Brian, what's the last scene of Carrie? That it was. Yeah, th- you think this that scene. that's it. Right? Yeah. That this like climax of the movie, like it ends, like she kills everybody and lives happily ever after. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> maybe she kills the rest of the town. But yeah, you know, I definitely every time I watch this, I'm like, all right, there's this whole not only does she like go home and have that whole thing with her mom, but then there's a kind of epilogue with Amy Irving's character, like having terrible PTSD from having witnessed all of this. And I think that character feels like uniquely responsible for it because she set her up for this, like not knowingly, but her actions did facilitate a lot of it. For sure, for sure. And again, these two scenes, I did not even remember. The the one with the mom, it's kind of like, I was like, oh, okay, so like the mom's like the final boss here to use like video yeah. game terms. But a lot of movies would have just ended at just like that final image of Carrie in there and like the destruction, right? Not here. And we see the mom and heartbreaking is a weird word. Sorry, like I'm struggling. But the fact that like. The no, mom... I think it is heartbreaking. Yeah. No, this movie is absolutely heartbreaking. And like the by the time she gets like she gets home, she takes a shower, she cleans off. And by then she's like back to her like frail needy self like all this girl needs is a fucking hug you know what i mean like she just needs someone to love her and to be tender with her and after this like extraordinarily traumatic event like you know all the murder notwithstanding you know she comes home and like she just wants to be held by her mother and you know gets the exact opposite like literally gets stabbed in the back by her (laughs) The thing is not subtle. It is so heavy-handed with like the s- symbolism, but oh, yeah. um, it's effective for sure. Her mom's like almost quite literally crucified later, the same way as that like creepy Jesus. Oh my god, the creepy see. Jesus! I wrote down creepy eye Jesus. <laughs> that is so creepy. <laughs> yeah, and just like the fight with her mom, and just that betrayal of trust again. Not that. She liked her mom necessarily, but obviously the closest person to her. It is natural to keep going back to that well. And a lot of people never learn that they're always going to come back empty. But a lot of times it does take until well into your adulthood, if you have a difficult mother, that, you know, you can keep going back to that well over and over again and never, never get the thing that you really need. And I I think that that's part of what is so um, heartbreaking to me about this movie that after all of that, like she still goes back to that well and it, it is poisoned (laughs) for sure. And uh, the fact that again, like she feels almost okay going back to the well, because the mom was validated a little because they did laugh at her and she is showing Mm -hmm. a little bit of compassion. Like like I said, that betrayal and, and then I'm, I'm rooting for her to kill the mom. (laughs) I am. Yeah. (laughs) But then she does this, she, like, burns the house on top 
of herself, right? Like, mm-hmm. she. Uh, what do you think of this? Like, her Carrie's ending, we'll say. Yeah, I mean, I think she was going to maybe die either way. From the stabbing. Yeah. And, like, even if she didn't, like, the cops are going to come eventually, right? <laughs> so, you know, either way, like, her, her ending is not exactly going to be that hug that she so no. desperately needed from the very beginning of this movie. It feels like almost, you know, like, once the thing happens with her mother, it feels like the only thing, the only way this movie could end. Right, is, yeah. Is by literally, again, very heavy-handed, burning it all down. Apparently the ending here is different than the ending in the book, and that Stephen King thought the movie was an improvement on his own ending, which I found interesting. Hmm. Interesting. But then we do get that, again, that final little coda scene with, uh, well, Amy Irving, as, as you Wait, meant. what happens in the book? I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't read the book, so. Oh, don't make me have to read another Stephen <laughs> King book. Uh, Slumber is out there. If you know what happens in the ending of the book, let us know so that I don't have to read it and Kara doesn't have to read it and we can compare notes there. But I don't know. I also didn't look because once Stephen King said this one was better, I was like, okay. But you're right. I should should have done my homework there and tried to figure that out. But the uh, ending coda here with Amy Irving, it is uh, it's very horror-y, if you will. Uh, The fact that she's asleep and the mom is like, or the the mom has this weird line where it's like, oh, the doctor said that she's young enough that she'll forget this eventually. I'm like, really? I don't know if she's ever going to forget this. Well, that was my reaction, too. I was like, um, excuse me, that's not how PTSD works. And then I thought about it, and I was like, mm, actually, it kind of is. Because when you experience trauma, it actually affects how your brain not just creates memories of that event. Mm. It kind of blows up your entire brain and can kind of like alter all of your memories and make it really difficult to like remember your childhood and like other stuff and form new memories in the future so sometimes people really do like either through just like a neurological response don't remember a traumatic event eventually or they block it out of their minds that's like not actually that ridiculous to say but again it was the 70s. We have a much better understanding fair, of how fair. people respond to trauma now. But that being said, she has a terrible nightmare. When she wakes up, she has a difficulty like distinguishing between that nightmare and reality. You know, so it, it actually is like a not terrible representation of somebody who has been through a traumatic event. Which a lot of representations are like extremely inaccurate. So, you know that that brief uh, kind of coda at the end of the movie, I think, is very interesting. And for me, again, not as a first time watcher, but an almost first time watcher, it was like the first time that I could actually empathize and feel bad for that character, and also just I don't know, like her, because I was suspicious up until the end, essentially, of that character. Yeah. So I, I don't well, know. Well, because yeah, like, what is her motivation here? Is this really for Carrie, or is this to make herself feel better? You know, I, like setting her up with her boyfriend to go to the prom and like do all of this stuff is like, is that really altruism, or is she just like uncomfortable with this person and just like is trying to make herself feel better, mm. which is ultimately like what drives most of our actions, right? For sure. But now, like, she has to live the rest of her life with. The knowledge that like this was kind of her fault (laughs) it's just tough it's yeah quickly wanted to just ask about the uh sequels which we've talked about a little bit 
there's uh, there's technically four films in the Carrie franchise. There's the aforementioned The Rage, Carrie 2. And you said you've seen this one? I own the DVD. I haven't seen it. So what are your thoughts on it? Is it truly a sequel or is it like... Kind of, I think. I actually, I haven't watched it in a long time. And I I actually thought that we did a Wistful Thinking episode about Carrie and like went back to try and listen to it. And apparently we didn't. (laughs) But like I asked Jordan, she was like, I don't know. I do remember watching it and talking about it with you. I was like, yeah. And at that time, I bought the DVD because it wasn't the Rage Carry 2 was not streaming anywhere. But I remember seeing it when it came out and like at like peak angry teen goth Kara. So it was like extremely my demographic. And it's interesting. Like I said, Amy Irving is in that. And I think I think she's playing the same character. Like she's she became a guidance counselor because she wants to help misfit students um, and so she has a student in her school who also has telekinesis I don't really remember too much more about it it's definitely like very 1998 gotcha in many ways the way that this is very 1975 or whatever it's very 1998 a dog dies which oh, is no. really upsetting yeah I hate it when I hate to see that in a movie that's really all I remember though and then apparently there was a 2002 made for television Carrie, which I didn't even know existed. Mm, I did not either. But it was written by Brian Fuller, who's super popular because he's like the showrunner on that Hannibal show. And a, oh, lot, okay. a lot of other stuff these days. He's a big TV guy. But I think this was like pre-everybody loving him. So I don't know. And then, of course, we mentioned that there's a Carrie, the Carrie remake uh, that we already kind of talked about. So I don't know. I don't know what's next for the Carrie-verse, but... A lot of, lot of, uh... Ooh, just remembered. Okay, in the Rage Carry 2, there's, like, a similar situation where she hooks up with a popular guy, and either him or his friends, like, secretly filmed it, and then she gets invited to this party, and they, like, project the footage, like, on the walls of this house, this camcorder footage. It's, like, it's very, very 1999. It was that kind of situation where she's like publicly humiliated but in this very late 90s sort of way gotcha gotcha i I think i definitely want to check that out as well uh anything else um you wanted to mention about carrie or should we move on to our awards and questions perhaps just the phrase dirty pillows i don't think that's come up her mother remarking on her prom dress is like you can't wear that people can see your dirty pillows referring to her breasts (laughs) Yeah, that was jarring when she said that. I was like, what is she? Oh, <laughs> haven't haven't heard that. So Yeah. And just like the general toxicity of Christian virginity dogma, like the consequences of that are profound and permeate people's lives and can actually result in like a very specific type of PTSD. And the, like the portrayal of, of that dogma in this movie is obviously, again, turned up to 11 but it's very real and it has like very real consequences in people's lives and it's very sad for sure i know a lot of uh christian people not every christian person obviously but a lot um were very against this film for that reason when it came out so i mean makes sense does not portray christianity very well but makes sense i'll believe there (laughs) okay so these days on high school slumber party we're asking some of the same questions but some different questions first question we ask these days is who was this movie made for? Who do you think was the intended audience of this film? 
Teenage boys. Teenage boys. Interesting. I say that because of the pornographic nature of that shower shower film, and the fact that, like in general, it's it's just like one long American Apparel ad, like the whole movie. <laughs> wow, that is an indictment for sure. Do I want one of those gym outfits? Yes, I do. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not good with names in this movie, but the the character with the red hat. Oh, Norma. Norma, the red hat and, and shorts MVP in my mind. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to no, say she is the best character in the movie. <laughs> this her is... and the tuxedo t-shirt guy. Tuxedo t-shirt guy. I forgot. So this question is isn't exactly MVP, but we call it most likely to succeed. It's who won the movie, and this is a little bit difficult today because most people are dead. But who comes out most on top? What character comes out most on top at the end? I think of Carrie Harry? does, because not only does she have this turn where she like literally comes into her power, you know, where she had previously been so powerless and so feeble and and frail, like she like really steps into her power, and like. Yeah, her mom literally stabs her in the back, but like at the end of the day, she gets the last word. She like literally burns it all down, you know. So I think, in so many ways, like teenage girls are like the most powerful beings in the universe, and it's no wonder the man is always trying to keep them down, because teen girls can be so passionate and so strong-willed, and you know they're young and they have energy and they have sexual power and like all well. That's debatable because of their age and consent and it's exploitation, et cetera. But I mean, the, this is really like the the pinnacle of my teenage girls are the most powerful beings beings in the world thesis <laughs> that like she can literally kill everybody and burn it all down. And I think that that is, you know, it's not like great. It's not positive, but it's like so often we see girls subjugated and you know marginalized and all sorts of stuff so it's kind of cool to see them you know cut loose if you will <laughs> for sure okay wooderson award is there a character here who you would have liked to have seen more of someone who you wish got a little bit more screen time uh definitely pj souls in the red baseball hat couldn't agree more <laughs> Long Duck Dong Award. Is there a character whose omission would make the film better, whether it be because of insensitivity or just you just didn't need them in the movie? I don't know. I guess um, maybe John Travolta. Because, <laughs> like, I don't know. He, he, it's just such a weird and upsetting character. First he shows up and you're like, oh, my God, John Travolta is so handsome, right? And then he, like, tries to date rape his girlfriend, and then he kills a pig, and, you know, I mean, he's really, like, she uses him, like, her, his girlfriend uses him as a, as a kind of, uh, again, teenage girls, most powerful beings in the universe, uses him to kind of wreak the havoc that she seeks to wreak, and I, I don't know, do we need him? Maybe she should have killed the pig herself. That'd be cool. I like that idea. Cameron Fry Award. Was there anyone who looked too old to be a high schooler? Um, what's her name that I said already looked 40? Oh, uh, yes, of course. Uh, Helen is the character, but it's Edie McClurg. 
Yeah, she because yeah. she's always. I mean, I, I mean, love she her. even has an old lady named McClurg. <laughs> Edie McClurg for sure. <laughs> Can't argue with that. Again, even though I like her, timeless in a different kind of way. Yeah. So this is the part of the show, Kara, where I hand you that Manila card. I give you the red pen. This is the report card. We grade on an A plus to F scale here in High Swiss Lumber Party. But before that, give you the little cheat sheet and let you know what other people thought of this film. Rotten Tomatoes, very high, 93% by critics, 77% by the audience. The good old nerds at Letterboxd give it a 3.8 out of 5. But we don't care about that. Like I said, you have the red pen. A plus to F scale. What will you grade, Carrie? solid b you know good effort could have been better has some problems but overall like emotionally very successful yeah i mean i can't argue with that my grade's a little bit higher i give it the the a minus because it did take me on that emotional ride and that's one of the coolest things a movie can do with you i don't feel good but (laughs) it really took me there well yeah i mean the power of art right there you go Sleeping bag, one of my favorite questions to ask every week, Kara. You and I are at a slumber party together, Carrie slumber party, and I ask you to invent, create, however you want to put it, make a Carrie-themed looking sleeping bag. What does your sleeping bag look like, Kara? Ooh, that's a good question. I should have thought about this because I know this is a question that you ask and have asked me before. This is one of the OG questions. Maybe like pink satin, which is what Carrie makes her lovely prom dress. It's a lovely dress that she makes for herself, but like blood stained pink satin. I like it. I like it. I was thinking of going with that like starry prom theme, but mm-hmm. I think you mentioned it. I'm going to go with the tuxedo t shirt. That's what my. Yeah, I, that's a like. solid choice. <laughs> now, this though is my favorite question. Every time we do an episode, you and I take a trip to the magical, magical blockbuster that defies space, time, and even logic. We're there. We know we're renting the original carry for our slumber party, but we're in line and we get to the counter and we see a sign that says rent two movies, get one free. And I said, Kara, I'm going to hold our place in line, but go to the back and go quick. Get two other movies that we're going to watch on our slumber party. What two other movies are you bringing back to the front for, for our little sleepover that we're having? Yeah, so I did think about this one. Um, definitely would put the Rage Carry 2 in there. Um, and then it's a toss-up on that third one. I think that the newer Carry remake is worth a watch. On the other hand, yeah, you know what? Let's just go Carry, Carry, Carry all the way down the bill. The newest Carrie remake, not the random TV one, right? Yeah, which I think was like 2012. Does that sound right? That sounds about right. Yeah, I think I think we said that before. So Carrie, Carrie. Oh, 2013. Okay. Carrie, Carrie, Carrie. Oh, and also there's an episode of Riverdale. There's a musical episode of Riverdale because they like uh, there's a Carrie the musical adaptation interesting um, <laughs> yeah and they performed some of the songs from that in the riverdale episode um which i love that show and i think that was a good episode i honestly can't remember so that might also be worth a watch 
Well, I'm all for it. That sounds awesome. And Kara, this was awesome. Thank you for talking, Carrie, with me. Why don't you let the slumberers know once again how they can help out your race and whatever else you want to let them know about. Yes, thank you so much for having me and for letting me yammer on about POTS and dysautonomia. So if you would like to join or support my team in the race to beat POTS and help us raise that $2,000 or help us add to our mileage goal, you can find links at uh, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash BIMPS. There you can also read my pot story, or even if you're feeling particularly generous, get me something off of my training wish list that will help me manage my symptoms of chronic pain and uh, other stuff. And if you or someone that you love got COVID or any other infection or were in a car accident or had an injury or a concussion or a surgery or whatever and suddenly your body is weird and doesn't work the way that it used to you might be having uh, headaches and feeling like your heart is racing especially when you stand up other symptoms include chest pain, lightheadedness, fainting, fatigue, shortness of breath, GI problems, cognitive impairment, blood pooling in the extremities, and so many more. You can check out dysautonomiainternational.org. That's D-Y-S-A-U-T-O-N-O-M-I-A international.org, or just Google it. Google will probably figure out what you're trying to say. Like I said, you know, a, a post-infectious or post-traumatic onset of dysautonomia, which is kind of a umbrella term for the various autonomic conditions, including POTS. That's very common. And so uh, if your body all of a sudden is not working the way that it used to, I just want you to know that you are not alone. And it's not because you're not trying hard enough to get better. There are resources available and there's millions of us out there. So Sorry if that happened to you, but we're working on it. Well, thanks, Kara, once again for spreading the word and for also, you know, talking. Carrie, uh, we got to talk uh, Best Summer Ever. I, I, it's still on oh my, my list. Oh, my goodness. So. Yes. Best Summer Ever. My friends at Zeno Mountain Farm, who uh, they have this incredible camp and retreat center for people with disabilities. I'm part of a group that does a retreat there every year for chronically ill creatives and they've really become such an important part of my life and my family and really have kind of saved my life in so many ways um just like from an emotional perspective they make movies sometimes and they managed to make this incredible musical called best summer ever it was actually supposed to premiere at south by southwest last year and then obviously, <laughs> whoops, a pandemic happened and yep. South by got canceled. And it was so sad because they had like, you know, there's so many people who say like, I want to make a musical. And then, you know, it's just like, it's so much work to make an original musical. It's incredible that they managed to pull this off. They did finally get their premiere at the digital South by or the virtual South by festival this year. And it just premiered on all the streaming platforms maybe last month or the month before. Um, so it's available for rent. It's called Best Summer Ever. The, I think the, the original pitch for it was like they wanted to make a prequel to Grease. That's not exactly the movie that they wound up making, but it's about 
these two kids, high school kids in quotes they're obviously adults who fall in love at a performing arts summer camp and then wind up at the same high school together uh the it was a movie made by a fully integrated cast and crew of people both with and without disabilities and so the representation in it is so authentic and it's so fun and just will you'll watch it and just leave with a smile from ear to ear so yes we definitely have to talk about that but in the meantime slumberers go ahead and check that out because it's it's great it's made by great people and it will make you feel great a little pre uh homework assignment for you slumberers and i think uh i'm gonna talk to Island because her and i have been covering the modern high school movies on high school slumber party ap so i think it fits right in <laughs> With what we're doing there but we'll cover it this summer Kara I promise you that and thank you again so much for coming on really appreciate it and I know it's close to your bedtime so it is yeah. <laughs> have a good night thank you thank you for having me it was so great chatting with Kara not just about Carrie but about all the things she's doing for pots all the money she's raising the race she's racing in her living room so great. I was so happy to support her, and I hope you slumberers support her as well. If you can afford to, please donate. If you can't, at least read about the information that's out there, what she has on her site and such, because awareness is just as important, of course, as the money being raised. Well, at least I think. I don't know. Maybe Carol will disagree, but that's how I feel, and I'm just happy that Kara made me aware of POTS, and like I said, I donated with my pocketbook, and I hope you can too. Okay, homework for next week, of course, and then we're going to talk our yearbook special, but your homework for next week is another prom movie. I don't think this is known as a prom movie. Hell, I don't even think this movie is known. I've actually covered it on my previous podcast, P.S. I Love Hoffman, did it with Kyle Reinfried, the Foodie Films Man and Joey Lewandowski, but don't listen to that. It is so early in my podcasting career. It is terrible. Well, I don't know if it's terrible. I just assume it is because I feel like I've improved since then. That's all. But the film is My Boyfriend's Back. They say when you're dead, you're dead. They say you only get one chance at life. But for childhood sweethearts, Missy and Johnny, true love will never die. He came back from the dead for me. God, my boyfriend wanted him pump gas for me. By God, if it ain't a zombie out with a living woman. What do you have against Johnny besides the fact that he's dead? He's a stinking zombie, you idiot. My dad will go berserk if he finds out I'm out with a dead guy. You stupid dead zombie pond scum. There's a lot of prejudice against the undead. Horror of the undead. Tramp. Zombie lover. We want the zombie! Hey! Pretty damn active for a dead guy. Come on, let's get it, Greg. Hey, quit it! You're gonna kill him, you're gonna have to kill me. I mean it. Ah. My boyfriend's back. Well, I hope somebody eats a whole damn bunch of you. This movie is wacky AF. I can't wait to talk about it and kind of give it a second chance to view it with a new lens, a high school slumber party lens. Our guest will be Ryan Stick of The Ryan Stick Show. Can't wait to talk to him again. 
So check that out on Monday as we slowly approach the end of our junior year. Speaking of the end of our junior year, of course, our superlatives are out there for you to vote. You got to vote for our junior yearbook award winners because we're going to have a junior yearbook special at the end of this month. Joey Lewandowski, the godfather, will join us. I'm going to give you a little preview of the ballot. Let me open it up and tell you what's on it this year and who are some of our nominees. Not going to tell you everything today, just a little snippet. First thing that came up, though, Class Clown. Let's see. Bobby from a Goofy Movie, you know, the Leaning Tower of Chisa guy. Daryl from Adventures in Babysitting. Spicoli, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Spicoli is a favorite, so... I don't know. I'd be shocked if he didn't win. But we do have some good nominees, like Belial from House Party. That's Martin Lawrence's character. Chunk from The Goonies. And Young Slim from The Wood. Next category, Most Likely to Succeed. A popular one at every high school. And of course, one we ask every week. But this is for the year. Diane Court, Say Anything. Tracy Flick, Election. Julie, Valley Girl. Lucas from Lucas. Jamal from Finding Forrester. William from Almost Famous, and Laura Jean from To All the Boys, Always and Forever. Very successful group there. I wonder who's going to win that one. That one, I'm not so sure about. All right, how about this one? Class hunk. Here are the hotties from our high school junior year, I suppose. Lloyd from Say Anything. Controversial pick. Some people said he's not a hunk. Whatever. It's up to you to vote. Zeke from The Faculty. Randy from Valley Girl. Peter from To All the Boys, Always and Forever, Trey from Boys in the Hood, Seth from Moxie, Brand from The Goonies, and Nathan from The Woo. And Nathan, Jesus Christ, it's loud here. And Nathan from the movie we chatted about on Monday, Abduction. Last category I'll say for today is most athletic. Paul from Election, Roger from Better Luck Tomorrow, Ricky from Boys in the Hood. Three good choices there. We have football player, tennis, and football player. Jamal, finding Forrester, basketball. Alex from Paranoid Park, skateboarding. Griffin, prayer of the roller boys. Rollerblading, obviously. Cappy from Lucas, that's Charlie Sheen's character, football. Lucas from Lucas, also football. Wasn't very athletic in the movie, but maybe people will enjoy how big of a heart Lucas has. Couple more nominees is a big category. Brand from The Goonies. Ben from Swim Fan, remember that one? Crew from Rad, for of course BMX, and Max from The Babysitter, because he's just like an overall jock. A lot of athletic people we talked about this year in High School Slumber Party for sure. So I'll leave it at that for today. I might keep previewing these as the episodes go along before our superlative episode, but remember, go on our Facebook and Twitter, find the ballot, or you can email me at highschoolslumberparty.com. Whoa. Or you can email me at highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com, and I will mail you a ballot. So it, it'll be an e-ballot. I'm not going to actually mail you a ballot, FYI. But vote, vote, vote. Vote early, vote often. I need your votes. We need your votes to determine our junior year superlatives. So one more thing related to the Carrie episode. I kind of think let Kara down by not telling her the ending of the book, Carrie, the Stephen King book. So spoiler alert, if you don't want to be spoiled about that, just skip ahead a little bit. I don't know. Just skip ahead somewhere. I don't know how much you have to skip ahead because I'm just going to be very quick with it because it is so different than the movie. (laughs) 
So in the book, it's all on Wikipedia, by the way. In the book, the Satan possession is more apparent. And Margaret, the mom, tells her that her conception was a result of rape. Then she stabs Carrie in the shoulder with a kitchen knife, which happens kind of in the movie. But this time, Carrie kills her by mentally stopping her heart through telekinesis, which is really powerful. But how could they have shown that in the film, right? So I get why they changed that. Carrie is mortally wounded and makes her way to the roadhouse where she was conceived. Because apparently she was conceived at a roadhouse, maybe by Patrick Swayze. I don't know. Chris and Billy, who, by the way, have not been killed, are at the roadhouse. I guess they kind of say that they're going to a roadhouse at some point. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So, FYI, she doesn't kill everyone at the prom. She kills a bunch of people at the prom. And she does it through uh, setting the sprinklers on fire and, you know, electricity gets involved. I don't know. Again, I'm just reading from the book. Uh, (laughs) Sue, who has been following Carrie's broadcast, which I don't know what that is, Finds her in a collapsed parking lot, bleeding with a knife wound. This is so different. I'm not even going to get into it. <laughs> a state of emergency is declared. I'll, I'll put it this way. The last line of the Wikipedia article that's supposedly like the last part of the book is, An Appalachian woman enthusiastically writes to her sister about her baby daughter having telekinetic powers and reminisces about their grandmother, who has similar abilities. What? I don't know. I've never read a Stephen King book. I've only seen the movies. Point is, it's very different. I did not do it justice there. Read the book or the Wikipedia article. <laughs> so that's the ending of Carrie. If you didn't want the spoiler and you fast-forwarded, you fast-forwarded randomly to the right place. <sighs> it's about time that we crawl back into those sleeping bags for the weekend. Remember, guys, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while... You could miss it. I leave you with a song that they played at Carrie's prom. I definitely wanted to find it. It's by Katie Irving. It's called I Never Dreamed Someone Like You. Later, dudes. It's over. Go home. Go.